Welcome back into College Golf Talk. Burko and Brentley with you. I want to thank Brentley for taking over the reins last week. Had a little family time. Also, some thanks to Trey Jones, head men's coach uh, at Florida State, for uh, manning the ship. I'm pretty certain you two probably did a better job than I would have. So it's uh, good to be back. And it's also good to welcome in Ben Adelberg, our very good friend, host of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. We promised we were going to bring some experts and gurus because eventually you get sick of listening to Brentley and myself. So let's sort of spread the wealth, if you will. We got a lot on the docket for today. I'm just back from Little Rock in the Elotion Club. We'll have a recap of the Stevens Cup. Brentley, I know you were out at Isleworth. Good one there as well. Keep an eye on the Sun Devils. We're going to continue to talk about the Stanford women and Rose Zhang. I believe that is just penciled in each and every week. The question is, is it going to be 90 seconds, five minutes, 10 minutes? One day, it just might be the entire show. Uh, So we are thrilled that you are back listening to this week uh, in the episode of College Golf Talk, which is brought to you by Velocity Global. Velocity Global seamlessly connects employees and their talent, anyone, anywhere, anytime, Anyhow, its global work platform is built on a cloud-based technology, compliance expertise, and unmatched scale in 185 countries and all 50 United States. The world of work, we know it is forever changed. Talent can live anywhere, work for anyone, and get the job done. More than 1,000 businesses engage top talent in another state or country without the need to set up a foreign entity or registration and rely on Velocity Global to make it simple and compliant. Velocity Global accelerates the future of work. To learn more, visit velocityglobal.com slash golf. We are thrilled to have them involved in partnering up with this College Golf Talk podcast. That is done. We move forward. Ben Adelberg, how are you, my friend? Excellent. Thank you both for having me on. I appreciate it. it Absolutely. Fun. Brentley, you didn't blow up the ship while I was gone. We're still afloat. You and Trey Jones? <laughs> Trust me, I, I tried to. So I'm, I'm just glad you're back, Burko. Uh, how, was your, how was your vacation? Uh, it was good. A little early celebration for our youngest, Chase. He's going to turn six on Sunday. I'll be at the East Lake Cups. We did a little local staycation here in the Disney vicinity, if you will. I mean, why wouldn't a five- and seven-year-old love to go crazy there? Uh, but I think I did the math. It was the first time in 13 weeks I'd been home for more than four straight days. First world problems. Uh, Kate, Luke, and Chase needed to realize I still exist. So it was fun. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, where should we start? Stevens Cup. Just got back from a lotion club. A heck of a broadcast. It is everything you could ever imagine and more. First question to both of you guys. Have you ever been there? I have not. Make the trip. I haven't either. It is... Unbelievable. Have to say Warren Stevens, uh, Stevens, that is the chairman of the Jackson T. Stevens Cup to create this in the honor of his father, Jackson T. Stevens, former chairman at Augusta National Golf Club. I have been to maybe 500, 1,000, 2,000 college golf events in the last two decades. The standard is set. They had more volunteers there than I've seen at PGA Tour events. You saw the course on TV. Got to walk around the clubhouse. Got to take a sneak peek of the wine cellar. Don't tell anyone about that. Uh, Really remarkable. The course was amazing. And 
want to get your feedback, uh, Ben, first of all. Uh, hopefully you were able to tune in a little bit. Uh, you know, what were your takeaways from Notre Dame men winning, LSU winning, and another opportunity for these men and women to sort of have that mini NCAAs. Let's go stroke play, match play. Let's see how you adjust. I, I think it's really important to have that some sort of a match play portion on your schedule in the fall. I think it lets the the players get a feel for it. Also lets the coaches uh, see how some of their players stack up in that match play format. So I, I think any team that got to do some sort of a match play uh, format in their in their schedule in the fall uh, only helps them in the spring as they as they move towards Greyhawk. So um, you know I, I think it's great when you see. These teams showcased, obviously, on Golf Channel in that format also gets people excited about seeing it in the spring. So I think it only helps uh, only helps the game and, and obviously the programs that get to benefit from it. And Brett, Brett, like, we're, we're seeing more of it now, the SEC yeah. match play for the men. I mean, this is snowballing, don't you think, uh, Brentley? Yeah, well, first I want to know, did you partake in this wine cellar action or – yeah, Unfortunately, right, right was, behind him, right over his shoulders when he yeah. snagged out of the club. He brought right him home. Yeah. yeah, what is behind me does not belong at the ocean, uh, ocean club, rather. Uh, sadly, it was before our broadcast, so that probably wouldn't have been my best decision. But I, I do have an invite to return, so might have to take them up on it. But uh, how about the fight in Irish, LSU? They uh, Very impressive, both of them, on their way to victory. Yeah, I think – a lot of people, at least on the men's side, thought that Arkansas was going to pick up where they left off, playing in their home state again. Obviously, a bunch of players playing well with Mateo Fernandez, State Oliveira, and Luke Long, and uh, some of their teammates as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of pegged Notre Dame as, as a sleeper team this week. I, I realized there was only six in the field, um, but it just seemed like they were trending. Palmer Jackson's been uh, playing at an All-American level. He's probably going to be on the next Haskins list when it comes out. But remember, this: these five guys in the lineup this week for John Handergan's squad, they were all on that roster two years ago. Remember when they won four times in the fall and COVID unfortunately canceled the year, so we never got to see quite what they were made of. But I really thought that they showed it uh, this week at Elotion Club. And Davis Chatfield, I, I know a lot of people like watching him play. You know, he's a scrappy little guy, but – I think he brings a lot of leadership to this team and it was really huge to get him back for that fifth, uh, that fifth extra year, that, that COVID year. Yeah. Grad student. There is Davis Chatfield. You have two juniors, two seniors. We had John Handrigan on uh, the podcast a couple of years ago. In I think it was right run. before, right? I think it was like the last one yeah. before things all heck broke loose. So uh, keep an eye on them for sure. And it was funny, Brad McMakin yesterday morning before the championship match, the Arkansas coaches said, what do you think? He's like, we have David and Goliath. They're bigger. They hit it farther than us. We have a big mountain to climb. And I thought it might have been, you know, talking it down a little bit. But he saw something that anyone that tuned in saw that Notre Dame is legitimate. They were happy. They were on my 5.52 a.m. flight this morning from Little Rock to Arkansas. So even as we were sipping coffee uh, around 4.45 uh, at Little Rock Airport, uh, certainly they are uh, thrilled with what they did. And so, too, for LSU, I, I believe Ingrid Lindblad doesn't get enough attention, even though she's the third-ranked amateur in the world. She takes care of it in the playoff individually, although both players get a credit for a win. And I was hoping it was going to come down to her and Hannah Darling. And if it did, you just had the sense, well, I think Hannah Darling's going to be good 
Ben Adelberg. Ingrid Lidblad, maybe with the personality, the Swedish demeanor, I, I feel like we don't talk about her in the same vein as Rachel Heck and Rose Zhang, and we probably should. No, 100%. I, you know, there's just so many great players out there, and it's easy to maybe chase the headlines of who picks up a win, obviously, with Rose Zhang winning. And, and you know, it seems like everyone on that Curtis Cup team is, is for the U.S. is coming back and doing something, whether it's Brooke Matthews or it's Rachel Heck or it's Rachel Keene. So, yeah, it's easy for players to get uh, you know, lost in the mix at times. What about you, Brentley? LSU, go Tigers. I mean, they're, they're looking for a football coach soon, but I think they've got the right man leading the women's program. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe, oh, maybe Garrett, Garrett Runyon can coach football as well. I mean, he's doing a great job so far in just a couple of years there. Um, first off, I want to go back real quick to Notre Dame. Do you think Davis Chatfield may be misnamed? You said they were David. Should he be David Chatfield? Wow. Did, did I say David? My no, 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 you said David versus Goliath. Oh, so oh maybe I we should rename. Never mind. That was that's terrible joke, Berko. Very, very, uh, very punny. Very punny. <laughs> Three fifteen a.m. wake up call right over my head. Exactly. Uh, but you know, listen, and I kind of tap them and, and Ole Miss as two teams with the most approved on that women's side. That field was absolutely loaded with Arkansas, granted minus Brooke Matthews, so they clearly weren't, you know, up to a hundred percent. Um, but Virginia had been playing well. So it was just a really deep field, and I thought that Ole Miss and LSU, if you would ask them coming into this coming into this event, they would have been pretty disappointed with how their falls have gone so far. Ole Miss, I believe, was ninth at the Annika, and they had Julia Johnson win the medal. That's pretty tough to do. And then LSU was 11th at that event. And Latana Stone, I think – it, yeah, it was great that Carla and Ingrid shared the title or Ingrid beat her in a playoff, whatever you want to call it. But I think Latana Stone had probably the biggest week in that she had been struggling and, she, and that she comes out and contributes well. I believe she finished third, um, Burko, uh, on the individual leaderboard. But I think that was just a huge confidence booster for this team. And we always talk about, does the fall matter? How much does it matter? Um, I think if you ask Garrett Runyon and those guys uh, or – those girls rather, um, you know, that this, this was a huge week. And I think if they end up doing some special things in a few months next spring at Greyhawk, they can maybe point back to this week. as one of those weeks that got them going. Yeah. Cause we're going to head to Eastlake and we'll preview that in a little bit. Bear in mind the two programs that won Eastlake a year ago, Pepperdine, Old Miss, they won a national championship seven months later. So there is some validity that uh, you go out and you win and you take care of the stroke in the match play format. And it might serve you well in Arizona come the month of May. You stayed a little more locally grounded here in central Florida, Isleworth, uh, in the Windermere area, ASU, looking good. What are your takeaways from what you saw? Well, I think Ben and I just missed each other. I think Ben was out there early in the week. I brought it home on on Tuesday. Definitely enjoyed the the great food buffet that they have there at Isleworth. They always do a great job. Um, should but, I let you know that Ben texts me to say when is Brentley going to be there so I can make sure I'm gone? What was I supposed to share that Ben, or was that between I, I, us? Well, he, I was there, he told I was me there the same the, thing. I, I was there. I was there the entire time, so I'm not <laughs> sure how we miss each other. But I was there for the entire tournament practice on Tuesday too. Yeah, you must have been blinding in. I, you know, just standing amongst the trees. So no, I was there the entire time. Well, anyways, I I, I was pretty impressed by what Arizona state did. I actually thought it was interesting that their coach, Matt Thurman might be the only college golf coach. who's also a college student 
as well. He's actually doing a grad program right now at Arizona State. Um, was just in Kenya last week. Um, there's a mandatory kind of week-long field study that he has to do in terms of to fulfill his degree requirement. And they went on a safari. They met with some CEOs of companies over there. And he misses the first round and flies straight from Kenya to Orlando and helps the team. Um, well, I say help, but you know the, the players are the ones hitting the shots. But I think the importance of a coach is probably maybe a little underrated uh, these days. But their assistant coach, Armin, did a great job. But Thurman comes in. They get a little bit down. I think they're down by eight during that final round. Cameron Sisk gave up his lead, made a double, hit one OB on the first hole, made a triple on the front nine. So they were reeling. And he, he goes, and it, this is actually posted um, on Arizona State's website, maybe their Instagram, something like that. But he records a video that says, hey, right now we're through seven holes. We're not playing well, but I got a feeling we're going to come back. And, you know, lo and behold, they win by two. They clip Illinois. And um, believe it or not, that was the first time they've ever won that event, which sh- shocked me. But, um, again, uh, talking about the importance of the fall, it's always good to get on the board. Ben, you were lurking amongst the trees out there at Isleworth. What are uh, some of the things that stood out for you? Well, one of the things, uh, just to kind of piggyback on what what Brantley said about Coach Thurman, um, I actually, I think Arizona State shot about 11 or I think 11 under in the first round, and they had, I think, a 10-shot lead. So it just looked like they were just going to absolutely run over the field. And I went to, and I swear this isn't a pun, but I did go to the back of the range at Isleworth. And, of course (laughs) – that's where uh, the entire Arizona State team was, and they're just hitting balls and you know very disciplined, working hard, working hard next to other teams that obviously didn't shoot 11 under either. And I asked them, I said, hey, um, I haven't seen Thurman. And then they said, yeah, yeah, he's coming in tonight. And immediately it triggered my memory that, yeah, he was in Kenya. But it was I actually mentioned it to Coach Thurman uh, the following day. It was really impressive how these guys – I kind of made the joke. I'm like, Are, is nobody chaperoning you this week? And like, how'd you guys you just like arrange your own travel? How'd you do this? And, you know, Armin, Coach Armin wasn't with them. They're at the range. They're working. Then as a team, they all go to the chipping area, and they immediately fall into chipping games. They were there just, you know, it's, it's a business trip for them, and they got the job done. But when you're around as many college teams as we are, you kind of see that separation of some teams that are it's all business, and maybe there's a little bit of a fall off in other programs. You know, didn't matter that Coach Thurman wasn't there the first day. Um they were just taking care of business. So I was really, really stood out to me kind of at the end of the day after boat racing the field by 11 or 10 shots, they're just, they're working, doing their normal routine. So that's it's also, it, it's also interesting guys that um, as, as a coach, you, you want to be able to relate to your players and all these guys have quizzes and exams and projects that they have to do when they're on the road. A lot of the times, and Coach Thurman's got to do the same thing. They're going to be at Eastlake Cup next week, and he's got a project due. So I, I think that's a really cool thing and something that a lot of coaches can't, you know, to, to put it simply, they, they can't relate to their players in that aspect. But so I, I just thought, um, you know, that, that was a really cool story. And, I mean, clearly Arizona State is so good. They're so professional. I mean, those guys, you can drop them on the Corn Ferry Tour right now, and they could probably have success. So. Um, I'm expecting big things from them. And Pearson Hunt from Illinois wins individually. He caught my eye at the Blessings a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm starting to think if he can be this consistent, this good, along with Jerry G and Adrian Dumont de Chassart, 
Mike Small might have that power three to try to make another run to finally win a national championship. Uh, quickly jumping to the ladies, Stanford women, they roll at home. Rose Zhang, three for three. Ben, Brentley and I the last few weeks have discussed it. How would you describe the start for Rose Zhang as apparently there is no transition for her going from junior and amateur golf right into college? I, I think it's incredible. You know, I've just to quickly say like some of the freshmen that I've spoken with on the men's side at the, some of the tournaments I've been at during the fall, you know, one of the things I like to ask them is not so much how's your game, but how's school? How's the move? How's the transition? And, you know, a lot of them say, man, I'm just, I'm kind of struggling a little bit with papers and you know, obviously coming out of COVID, maybe they didn't go from a traditional uh, high school environment to uh, a traditional college environment. So there's all these different factors. She had that incredible summer too, where she's obviously, you know, U.S. junior, U.S. women's, then going, I believe, to France and then coming back and then Curtis Cup. Just so many things she had to juggle with summer. You'd think she'd had to be burned out. And then to go to Stanford, where, as everyone knows, academics are at a premium and it's incredibly challenging. Uh, it's unreal uh, to go three for three and just jump right in. I, I, I can't think of anything it's just incredibly impressive. Yeah, that's why she couldn't come on the podcast this week. She had a she has midterms. Yeah, I mean, as, I mean, gosh, as advertised, number one player in the world, and you know what? What else do you expect? I guess. Yeah, it now piques my interest. I tweeted out something. I think at Justin Ray, and then Brentley was texting me. Still, the greatest season I've ever seen. Period. Twenty years ago, Lorena Ochoa won her first seven events as a sophomore at Arizona comes in second, wins her eighth event, comes in second. 80% of the time she won, and the other two she was a runner-up. So, you know, we're far away from that level, at least in my opinion. Um, But as a lot of people say, you can't win them all. (laughs) She won the first three, and and Rose has done just that. I got a good stat for you, Ruka. Give me the stat. Throw something at me. So, obviously, about – Two and a half decades ago, there was another pretty good freshman in Palo Alto uh, by the name of Tiger Woods. You guys may have heard of him, uh, may, may have not. Good Rings guy. A bell. But I, I, I saw an interview with Stanford's coach, Ann Walker, uh, this past weekend after they won for the third time this fall, and Rose also won for the third time. And she basically said that so many people have come up to her and said, hey, the vibe feels like it did back in 1994 when when Tiger was a freshman. So I got to thinking. I went back and looked at some stats. In Tiger's freshman year, he played 13 events. He had a 71.37 scoring average, had three wins, won two of his first three events, nine rounds in the 60s at a 35. Well, Rose Zhang's already won three times in three events. She's got a 69 point. 11 scoring average, and she's already got four rounds in the 60s out of nine rounds. I know some people were kind of upset that I'm comparing Rose Zhang to Tiger Woods, but I don't think it's that crazy. I mean, we're talking about someone who has the potential to be the best college player of all time in women's golf. And I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how that progresses. She's done for the rest of the fall, but, uh, all eyes will be on her and the Cardinals, certainly in the spring. Brentley and Burka with you on College Golf Talk. Thrilled to have Ben Adelberg joining us, host of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. And 
let's spend a couple minutes with you, Ben. How is it going? Because you and I had multiple conversations several years ago. Yes. And uh, you've knocked it out of the park, my friend. I appreciate it. Gosh, uh, where to start? I mean, a very good friend of mine said to me back in like 2017, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And I was like, well, I, I you know, I, I did think about it, I guess. And then really thought about, okay, golf is what I want to focus on. And I wanted to focus on maybe some of the stories that you don't hear a lot, um, you know, stories about amateurs or collegiate players or, uh, you know, mid-amps and uh, just kind of snowballed and did 52 episodes in 52 weeks in 2018, um, you know, ranging from, gosh, uh, you know, I actually had Joe Buck on my 25th episode and had Stuart Hagestad to end the year at 52. And really, it's just grown and grown and just it's also speaks just how great the game of golf is when you get one person to share their story someone else hears it and they kind of say hey you got to go on that podcast or hey you know talk to ben this would be good and and it's just grown and grown and you know the amateur golf space is just so exciting and so inviting and everyone has a great story no matter if you have you know uh you know if you're a junior or if you're an amateur or if you have 70 usga appearances like paul simpson in north carolina there's just so many great stories in amateur golf um you know one of the funnier things is sometimes I, i'll approach someone to be a guest and like oh you don't want to talk to me i haven't really done anything and you know meanwhile they're like you know a two-time uh, state amateur champion and they've played in 15 usga championships and they're basically a local legend but once you get people talking and, and it's it's all about the stories just that the, the connection with the game, and, and it's been a blast. Uh, yesterday, we released episode 218, which was the uh, reigning U.S. amateur champion, James Pyatt from Michigan State, who, uh, you know, he was a fantastic story and just a, a, a fun guy to be around at Oakmont. So, Ben, you, you've had uh, Joe Buck on, like you said. You've had Stuart Hegestad. Well, we've yeah. had Ben Edelberg on our podcast. So, Hey, me, wow, wow. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's something there. Who's your favorite guest? I, I know it's probably hard to to narrow it down to just one, but is there one episode that people listening to this should go back in and check out? Um, yeah, that's a really hard question because they're all you know they're all great for different reasons. There are you know the midams and the seniors are just so much fun because they have so many stories collected over the years, and truthfully, they're they're amateurs, so their guards are you know their guards are down. They don't have professional aspirations leading into it. You know, some of the college kids, I totally get it. They're a little bit guarded just because they've grown up in the era of social media where anything they say or write or post is kind of permanent. So I get that. Um, you know, episode 123 was Jimmy Dunn, uh, you know, president of Seminole. And obviously a lot of people know his story from 9-11, but I got to uh, interview him at his house, uh, you know, right up the street from Seminole. Didn't you and play Seminole that day or the day after, too? I did. Uh, about a week later, I think I played it. Yeah, and, and that that was but, – but just to sit, it, it, you know, right across a, a table from, from a guy like that and see the – you know, you know, he's kind of shed a tear when he was talking about golf and he was talking about, you know, 9-11. And, and you know, that was not so much of a, a golf episode. That was more of a life episode. So I'm really proud of that one. Um Man, just they're great ones. They're, there's great ones. There's, there's. I think I've had over 25 Walker Cuppers uh, in the in, in the history of the, of the podcast. On, um, you know, the Joe Buck episode. When people ask me my favorite, uh, it's really hard for me to, to say my favorite. But for me personally, that was a very important one for the podcast because 
you know, I kind of had friends on between episodes like one and 20. And then <laughs> I was able to get Joe Buck on 25 and was really very prepared for it and was very comfortable, surprisingly, talking to you know, really a, a, a broadcasting legend. And once I got through that and once I listened to it and other people listened to it, I realized, okay, I can do this. I, I should continue doing this. Uh, that was one that was very important. But, you know, uh, 118, I sat in front of Mr. Nicholas at his house. Um, you know, it's t- not that he, you know, dropped any nuggets of information that are going to be mind-blowing. He said a lot of things that probably people would expect him to say. But just to be able to sit across from him in his house and, and share share some him share some stories – that was incredible. Uh, every, I love doing it, and just every episode seems to uncover new stories that you never heard. What about and episode twenty-two? You know that one. That one will live <laughs> on. Uh, that that one. That was a special one. Uh, you know that one is uh, in the annals. Uh, you know it's in the top. Uh, it's in the top two hundred. I, w- I could say easily. So uh, out of all the podcasts, that was one of them. That was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that certainly was. I, you know, one thing that was interesting. So uh, I got to give a shout out to, to Nick Macario, who today is actually his birthday. He turns 30 and he was a semifinalist this year at the U.S. Mid-Am. And that episode is coming out very soon. But it was I'm listening. We're recording it. And he said, you know, I listened to this podcast and I took something from the Preston Summerhays episode and I've incorporated it into my game and my preparation of how I approach tournaments. So you got a 30 year old guy that's listening to an 18 year old college freshman star. And I just thought that was really cool. How the community of competitive golfers are actually, some are taking things from episodes and other people and incorporating. So I thought that was, that was great. What was the tip? Adopt a dad who uh, is a PGA tour coach. I don't think that's what it was. If I remember correctly, what it was is just to practice with a purpose and go out and approach each session and get the most out of it and have a clear goal set. Uh, or, but but still also having you know Boyd Summerhays as a coach isn't a bad way to go either. So, well, you've done a heck of a job. We are thrilled to have you join us. We're thrilled for you to be out there more and more when we're. Uh, both dipping our toes into the college golf world. Uh, so happy to say, if you're not listening to ours, make sure you're listening to Ben's Back of the Range Golf Podcast. You will not be disappointed. Let's quickly spin it ahead, gentlemen, uh, gentlemen that is. A couple of events coming up in the Atlanta area over the next uh, six or seven days. U.S. Collegiate in uh, Georgia. What are you looking for there, Brentley? It's another loaded field. Um that I, it, it just kind of seems like the fall I was talking to, you know, going back to talking to, to, to Matt Thurman and we were talking about how a lot of the best events are in the fall, Olympia fields, colonial Merido. Um, so I'm, I'm actually just pulling up the field right now, Burko. Um, so give me, give me two seconds, but yeah. yeah. Pepperdine's going to play six straight days. Isn't that crazy? Back-to-back events uh, as the reigning national champs. you got Tennessee, UCLA, USC, Georgia Tech, obviously, there. It is really, really strong, and it's a heck of a golf course. And and I'm I'm curious to see Pepperdine here. I think this is an important week for them, uh, Ben Adelberg, of what are they going to do? They had an amazing fall a year ago, an indifferent start to the spring for their standards, but they won the one that mattered. Now all eyes are on them. 
They've got five back. They don't have the depth they had a year ago. And there have been some ebbs and flows, which we've seen with old Miss women as defending national champs. And they had a come to Jesus moment a week ago. The coach is sitting down with the players and you can read between the lines that let's go. Last year doesn't mean a damn thing anymore. I don't think it's there for Pepperdine, but I would like to see them play a little bit better, especially William Mapp. Yeah, I think you could say that about Pepperdine. I think you could say that about a lot of teams in the fall. I think I'm, you know, I'm thinking about a team like Texas. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, a team like Vanderbilt. Uh, teams that it, it seems like all the pieces are there, and it just hasn't gelled yet in the fall. There have been a couple little shifts in lineups, but also just saying, okay, what are we? Just to, to your point, what are we? What can we legitimately expect to see in the spring? Um, you know, it goes back to like. You know, that SEC match play I was at and also the the, the championship of the Elotion, uh, you need to kind of see what players you have at your disposal and what your lineup's going to look like in the spring. And I think, like I said, Pepperdine, there's Texas, there's Vandy, um, you know, UNC, you know, can they keep rolling? They've won twice. Um, you know, there's just teams you want to see what, what they're going to prove in the spring. Yeah, there's there's one team uh, looking at the field now, Burko. There's one team that really jumps out at me, and that's Tennessee. Um, we we haven't seen them a lot. We saw them at the SEC match play. Uh, they had saw their first the event. Saw them yeah. at the blessings, but their first event at Scenic City was rained out. Um, so really, that was a fun day for one. me, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you, you were up there, right? Oh my gosh, what a what a great practice round day that was! It was just so special. Uh, there was just a there was a great uh, putting. Uh, There's a great game of stymie that the uh, Georgia guys were doing. I saw game. that. That, that game was, was fun. That was the highlight. I mean, gosh, I mean, hey, you know, road travel it happens, but uh, yeah, that that was that was my biggest disappointment of the fall. I gotta say, that's that why it pays out. to be at these events, Ben. I mean, you just don't. You know, people who kind of casually follow the leaderboards and stuff, you don't see stuff like that. And to me, that's like the most interesting part of college golf is all oh, these yeah. like they're, weird they're and wacky traditions. They're, they're still kids. I know they shoot 68 and shoot 65s and, and we talk about them, but they are still just 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you see you see all that stuff. So, Burko, here's two teams at this uh, – Golf Club of Georgia event that are very under the radar, but are putting together some pretty good seasons so far. And I think maybe both, but at least one of them is going to surprise and and finish among the top three or four. One of them's Virginia. The other one's East Tennessee State. They've both played pretty well. Uh, it's been a while since Virginia has been in the conversation. East Tennessee State, obviously, I believe they made it to NCAAs last year. Uh, they, they won their regional too, I think. And, uh, so, yeah, the, those are two teams to kind of watch out for that are a little under the radar. All right. I'm going to hold you to that, see how they perform. And as I mentioned, Pepperdine will go just down the road to East Lake. All the semifinalists from Greyhawk this past May are going to be there. You got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Arizona State, Pepperdine for the men, the women, Old Miss, Duke, Arizona, and Oklahoma State women, who you can make the argument might be the best team in the country, not named Stanford. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not, oh, named, not named Stanford. Yeah, yeah, not named Stanford. Or Wake Forest. Oklahoma State women are really good. They're they won good. Three times this fall. Their schedule championship has been pretty good. Just you gave me East Tennessee State and Virginia. Next week, will uh, I'll allow you to apologize for you uh, jumping right. down my throat here. 
Hey, as, as Trey Jones said last week, don't be afraid to be controversial. Yeah, that's that's why they listen. And, and look at Ben Adelberg just stays in the middle, goes a little left, this, goes a little right, but just right down the middle. Right here, right here. Staying out of trouble. Staying out of trouble. I'm actually, well, I'm actually ahead, ex- excited about uh, East Lake Cup, Berko. I mean, it's it's such a fun event, and I mean, yeah, it's only 18 holes of stroke play and a couple matches, but. Just the way they run that tournament, um, it's one of those that these teams, if you get invited, you better say yes because um, they treat you really well. I know last year with COVID, it wasn't quite the same, but we got the college jam back, Burko. Um, I expect you to be out in your <laughs> golf cart watching me play, uh, teaming up with Eugenio Shikara. So, um, Brantley Romine's going to play golf, and I'm missing this. You want to come? I'm actually at a different cup. I'm going to be at the Williams Cup at East Point in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I'm, I will be at a different event. But if there's a way someone can live stream your action on the golf course, uh, even if, if i got to pay for it, I mean, uh, it's fine. Just let me know. Well, I, I, I'm going to take a video and I'll, yes. uh, I'll, I'll put it out there. Probably Thank a video you. of me is like snapping my cutter <laughs> over my knee. Yeah. Content is king. Content is yeah. king. So hey, yes. I, I played with Travis Vick two years ago. And there's a theme in a shamble. You always pick someone who just drives the heck out of the ball. So Shikara, Travis Vick, a couple years ago, shot net 64. So I got a, I got a lot to, to live up to. What, what, uh, where's that, that Stevens or not, uh, the Williams Williams cup Cup at, is that uh, Eagle point? Eagle point. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. There's a few teams I want to kind of take a look at. I'd like to see UNC, um, you know, they obviously have freshman David Ford, who's made made an impact immediately, and Greaser, the you know, USM runner-up. Uh, Gerard's obviously playing well. I'd you know, I'd like to to see them, and you know, Vandy, um, you know, Georgia, Michigan State, Pied will be there. So yeah, I'm looking looking forward to that quite a bit. So speaking of North Carolina basketball, I this is just kind of my silly side showing, but I was thinking of my starting five Finally. basketball. Um, like basketball lineup of college golfers. And I, I think that, you know, now you can you can pick J.R. Smith, so he would definitely be on the team. Uh, I think that that's would be easy. a little bit unfair, that's but that's, that's an easy, easy one. That's easy. My backcourt is William Mao from Pepperdine and Patrick Welch from Oklahoma. Uh, Patrick Welch can dunk the ball. William Mao was his high school's three-point um, leader and career three-pointers made. Wait, wait, time out. Patrick Welch can dunk a basketball? He can. He is, he, I don't know if he still can. I mean, that was in high school. He, you know, the freshman 15, maybe uh, you know, maybe doing a little bit different of workouts now that he's a golfer. But, yeah, he can dunk a basketball. And then and then my big guys, Chase Sinkevich from Arizona. He was yeah. a good player. back as a, He's 6'4", or something like that. And then the giant, Christo Lamprey. I don't know if he's good at basketball, but JR is going to be taking all the shots. And I think William Mal may – may take a few as well. But uh Christo's just gonna you know just stay around the paint, try to protect the rim, and that's all you gotta do. Ben, this is a man in Brentley that obviously has way too much free time on his hands to even cobble together a list like that. I, hey, I, I, I was doing it while I was making lunch today. I did not see that in the show notes uh, leading up to this episode, but uh, if I did, I would have just been like, no, no, I have no time for that. But uh, but that's – can't argue with the list. List makes sense. Yeah, well, 
We'll see one day if Patrick Welch can. Of course, he should have thrown in there that Patrick Welch has a great crossover move because he obviously does a reverse cross-handed. See, you missed that one because that's that's an easy layup. Oh, that's two. That's an easy layup. So, anyway, um, no, that's that's a good one. Good list. Give give me a brain teaser like that for the next episode. I'll put something together. If uh, Patrick Welch defends his Eastlake Cup individual title – I believe he won a year ago, didn't he, Burka? He did. He did, he did. indeed. It, maybe we can have him dunk, uh, dunk the trophy or something, or we can put the cup on, you know, like a wall or something, and have him dunk something into that. But I, I, I really like Oklahoma this week. I, you know, going back to the East Lake Cup, I know Pepperdine. I think it's the first time we've had all four semifinalists from both the men's and women's side actually show up the next year. So it's going to be pretty hotly contested. But I think the Sooners. There's just something about him. I, I don't know if, you know, some journalists pissed him off by ranking them too low or something. Oh, the guy in the top left up here. <laughs> oh, no, is that you? I, mean, I, 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 I got to say, I was really, uh, I'm really impressed with Oklahoma, um, you know, winning at Merido. And, you know, obviously you guys know they kind of put all their chips in the middle last year when Quaid came back and, and you know, Brightwell was there and they had reband and really they were just trying to make that push and then they fall, you know, fall short to Pepperdine. They just plug in, you know, Goddard up, which was, I guess you could easily say that was the highly coveted free agent of the transfer portal. And uh, they just pick up right where they left off. And I'm just super impressed with that. And, um, I, you know, actually I talked to Goddard up and I asked him kind of the, the standard question, like what's the, what's the culture shock been like going from Jersey to Norman, Oklahoma? And he kind of flipped it. He says, oh, no, I, I'm – I'm turning these guys on to a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, Jersey DJ mixes and we're pumping that in the weight room and Hibble's pumping in the, in the, in the van and he's got football guys listening to his music and, uh, you know, just, so yeah, I I think it's great. I think they're, they're going to be there. They're kind of right there with Arizona state where you just expect them to be, you know, strong, uh, strong players in match play at Greyhawk. Yeah, Brentley knows I've been bullish on Goddard up being a Rutgers guy uh, with my ties to, to Jersey and that school uh, with my dad playing football for the Scarlet Knights back in the day. He's already inside the top 30 of the Velocity Global Rankings, according to PGA Tour U. The top five are still the same. RJ Mankey keeps creeping up. He's moved up to number six. So um, we're, we're seeing more volatility than we did a year ago, which I like that. I think you're going to continue to see a lot of movement and we'll have those updated each uh, and every time. And then quickly, as we wrap it up with the ladies at the East Lake, I guess my big question marks are which of these young women that are in the Q series for the LPGA tour aspirations going to be able to get the East Lake? I can tell you a little birdie did share with me. Gina Kim from Duke will not be there. We may have seen Gina Kim play her very last event for the Blue Devil. And I hate it. For women's college golf, I hate it for these schools. Coming off our Velocity Global rankings, I implore anyone that listens, there has to be something similar that can be done for the women. So uh, I have the same argument every year. It's going to be blowing up two, three, four of the best teams in the the country because they're going to lose their best players. I think you were sitting in the airport drinking your coffee this morning and scrolling through my Twitter feed, Burko, because that's exactly what I was was saying. They need to have a LPGA tour you. Yep. You know, maybe it's not 15 players um, because, again, the top five in PGA tour you don't get PGA tour cards that get Corn Ferry, but at least have maybe the top three 
you know, because the three best players in college golf right now, if you're, you know, considering maybe uh, Ingrid Lindblad and Rose Zhang, Rachel Heck, like they could win on the LPGA tomorrow. Um, I mean, can they win every week on the LPGA? No, but they have the, yeah, they have the capability to do it. So if you exempt the top three into the LPGA and into the final stage of Q series, the following, and then four through 10 get Symmetra status, I don't think that would be that hard. Um, I think something needs to be done because it does not sound like I talked to Gina Kim on, I'm getting my days mixed up, Tuesday night. Um, she's actually going to drive up to Eastlake, not play, but she's going to, after she's done, she's going to drive up there and, and, and watch for the week. But it doesn't sound like many of these players are planning on coming back or planning on deferring. Brooke Matthews was pretty kind of on the fence, but not really wanting to talk too much about it. Again, there's 14. I mean, there's 14 current college players, and that doesn't even include the Maya Starks and the Paulines and the Lynn Grants, who we already lost. Yeah, I've always said, Ben, the easy fix, and it's maybe not the right one, make them turn professional. Don't give them the safety net that if the wheels fall off, they go back to college. You watch how quickly eight out of ten of these young women, nope, I'm going back to school. But again, do you really want to do that? I, I think they're getting the cake and eating it too. I don't think it's fair to the colleges or the professionals that do it for a living that if they don't make it, they might wonder how they're paying their bills the next month. These young girls don't go through. They go back to their full rides that they've earned. Can't have it both ways. If you want to fix, which I do. And I'm not saying that is the right fix, but it's the easiest fix. Make them turn professional and watch your number of 14 get cut down to four, just like that. I completely agree. Uh, you need you need to if you're going to make that jump, make that jump. Tell yep. your coach, tell your program, hey, I'm not going to be here. That way, you can, you know, that program can prepare. They can plan. They can recruit. They can maybe go to the transfer portal. They can do their necessary things. That team recruited you. Um, you know, do right by them. Uh, it, the system's flawed. I mean, it's you, you hit the nail right there. The system's flawed. Needs to be fixed so that it, all, all sides can move forward. Uh, appropriately. Yeah, I think it's pretty incredible that they tried to fix it a couple years ago and they almost made it worse because you weren't able to defer um, and players knew that going in. So maybe that kept them from entering. But now it's you're right. It's like a, they basically have a safety net to fall back into. I would just mirror mirror the velocity rankings, just mirror it for a year. You know, and I mean, that, that gives the decision makers like, hey, let, let's try what PJ Tour U is. Uh, let let's try that for a year. You can always you know shape and and you know change it. So yeah, yeah. We're not the smartest three in the world, but we're the smartest three this podcast has on this particular episode. So yes. some, some of all parts, Burko. You know, yes, true. yes. Play to our strengths. Play to our strengths. I know we could go on forever, but we're going to have to uh, wrap I, this one up. A parting uh, thought, Ben Adelberg? Yeah, I, I wanted to share one one thing. I, I know but before, you know, Brentley, you mentioned, like, what are some of the really good stories of the fall that I've seen? I've traveled mm-hmm. quite a bit. And we could talk a lot about players and the teams and who we think is going to be a Greyhawk in, in the spring, make a run. But I really wanted to share a story. You know, I first saw Merido Golf Club in November of 2020 for the East-West matches. Phenomenal place in Carrollton, Texas. You know, you both have been there. Hard. And, uh, yes. And I was very hard, very hard golf course. Um, I was then back there in April of this year for the U.S. Women's Four Ball. The course was absolutely decimated. 
by that winter freeze. I mean, the fairways were black. The grass was gone. They still were able to have that championship. It got a little bit better in June for uh, the Merido Amateur. And then the Merido Collegiate September, that place looked incredible from what I mean, I've seen that place four or five different times. And Tanner Westbrook was a first year superintendent at Merido Golf Club, gets hit with a winter freeze outside of the scope of, you know, his responsibility. And then, oh, by the way, Golf Channel's coming to town to showcase this golf course to the world. And that place, I mean, he re-sprigged eight acres of ground and they lit that place popped about two, three weeks right before. And I just thought that was just an incredible story that that place just had such a resurgence. That entire team there, whether it's Tanner, his staff, Albert Huddleston, the owner, I was just blown away as someone that saw it at the worst it could possibly be. And then it just blossomed for, for national uh, television. I just, one of the happiest things I saw was him that day when I walked, I was like, dude, what, this is incredible. So I just want to make sure I mentioned that was the best thing I saw in the fall. Um, I, I was really thrilled to see that. It's amazing the courses these kids play at. I mean, oh, the Stevens Cup, the Lotion Club this year, Seminole next year, playing at Colonial. We got Pasta Tiempo coming up in the spring for the Western Intercollegiate. I mean, we could go on and on, Burka. I mean, this is I mean East Lake this next week, Eagle Point. I kind of wish I could just pull a J.R. Smith and go back and play college golf. My game's coming around, so maybe maybe I could. <laughs> well, I'll be the witness to that on Sunday, at least for one or two swings, and I'll get back to you. And you say J.R. Smith. I've got to mention it again. I said it on the broadcast. Uh, Warren Stevens invited 12 individuals to the Elotion Club from PGA Works, HBCUs, and the service academies with his father's tie to uh, – being a graduate of the Naval Academy in 1947. That final round, Kristen Carr from North Carolina A&T birdied her last three holes, shot 32 coming in. 69 was the lowest round of the week by any lady. And as I found out soon after, it was the lowest round ever by a female in a competitive event at the Elotion Club. Kristen Carr is my story of the week. And I didn't even wow. know we had a story of the week. But the smiles on her face some struggles the first couple of rounds. She will, at least until someone beats it, have the greatest round. So uh, it, it's just another part of the initiative by Warren Stevens and everyone there uh, at the Elotion Club. Again, I know we could go on for hours. Ben Adelberg, a friend of the show, a friend in life, which is more important to me. Uh, thanks for joining us as always. Uh, keep up the great work and uh, we will see you soon. Um, and maybe we'll reciprocate. Maybe I'm thinking I might have been episode 22, but I could you be were. wrong. Yes. Um, so maybe but I can be like 522. Let's uh, <laughs> let's do a home at home. Let's run back again. Both of you have been guests on the podcast. Would love <laughs> would love to have you guys. Uh, love to have you guys back on again. I appreciate you inviting me on to uh, College Golf Talk. It's been fun. Let's do it again. Yeah, it's been the killer bees on this edition for Ben Adelberg and Brentley Romine. I'm Steve Burkowski. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>